Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. I'm winding down on my series on Anatomy of Revival. Today we're talking about what Paul had to say to the pastors from Ephesus in the city of Miletus. Strong pastors, strong churches. And what Paul has to say is a great encouragement. So again, pastors, those of you who attend church, welcome to the broadcast. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here today. We have been the past 10 lessons speaking about the anatomy of revival, how revival starts, the hearts of the people that causes God to send ministers there, the hearts of the ministers, the arranging of circumstances. One man has a call in his heart, brings two or three with him, the teamwork involved, the amount of time, the amount of progress. And then toward the end of it, I mean, because this revival lasted three years in Ephesus. And again, so many times if we want to study revival, we go back and look at history. We talk about the, the Welsh revival. We talk about the United States, the revivals that have come here. We talk about Martin Luther. We go down the list of revivals. But you know what? The best is still the Word of God. And God has given us two and part of a chapter on the subject of revival, the closing of chapter 18, all of chapter 19, all of chapter 20 is still connected with it because the end result of revival after three years, the end result of revival is not more revival. The end result of revival is local churches where people start doing the work of what the evangelist, the minister, the apostle did to help come and set it up. And I know that as, as Paul was leaving, man, great lamentation must be made and people crying. What's gonna happen to our revival? And what Paul had been doing for three years was establishing churches. And it became the strongest church in the world at that time, establishing six other churches out from under it in its history. And those seven churches, total counting Ephesus, and the six others it began, make up the seven churches of chapters one, two, and three in Revelation. We've covered all this, but this is also brought out in my book of Acts that I wrote. I didn't write Acts, of course. Paul wrote it. You know, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Bob just made his own version of it. And so I, that's what I've been offering on that. But today I'm also going to be offering my book on God's Word to Pastors. And uh, this book has been reinvented, renovated, and the things, you know, that I took it, the King James is what I used when I first wrote it, redid that, uh, added more to it, added more chapters to it, and brought it up to date and everything. But yet the Word of God is still exactly the same. And so that's what I'm offering too, because in this chapter, in fact, in this lesson right here, we'll be switching over to the minister's conference that Paul had in Miletus, about 30 miles from Ephesus, and he'll be ministering to the pastors there from the city of Ephesus, and it's been a year since Paul was there, and now comes back a year later and begins to minister to these uh, pastors, to the churches there. And so, it, listen, his word is still powerful today, still admonition for us today. And what Paul began, that's the office of an apostle, to come and start something, then turn it over to others, but he had to raise them up all that time. So during those three years, behind the scenes, is not told us in the book in chapter 19, but chapter 20, he says, for three years, I I was with you and you saw me and I was with you, taught you publicly and house to house. All this is going to be brought out of this chapter. So these things are being offered on the broadcast. Don't listen, ministers especially, don't turn this down. Don't think, oh, I'll just do that later. Once you get it, you say, well, I don't know if I want to put that kind of money into a book. Listen, one revelation, just one revelation is worth 10 times what you paid for the book. And uh, so again, you know, and then revelation after revelation, you begin to think, man, how could I have ever lived without this kind of stuff? Ministers helps. So let's start today in verse 16 of chapter 20. And in the beginning of this chapter, Paul has been traveling. 
at the end of chapter 19, the revival was over and Paul, after three years, was worn out. But listen, what he did was at that time put the needs of other churches he had established before above taking time off. So he went straight from chapter 19 into chapter 20 and started visiting churches he had established, helping to establish them, and then finding out really, even though he'd been gone for three years and probably had this thought in his mind, what are they gonna do without daddy? I'm daddy, I started these things, I'm papa, I helped to start these things. And when he got there, found out they were doing fine. and they. I'm sure they had a great time visiting with Paul, but man, Paul spoke and things like this. And yet even during that time, he was being chased by the Jews, uh, by the Pharisees trying to kill him, even set traps for him. God brought him out of it. And then just before the verses were starting right now, Paul took off and went to a number of islands and they were resort islands. And I'm sure that Paul and his team just took one, two, two and three islands he went to. And on those islands, probably just, just relaxed. Didn't even say he ministered there. He just said he went to this island, this island, this island. You go look them up and they were resort islands. I'm sure Paul laid on the beach with his disciples. You know, they probably had a Coke in one hand, you know, and some chips in the other hand and men and women coming up to him, you know, that worked there and said, can we help you get you anything else? And I'm sure one of them that he stayed at, the city was Lesbos and the island was Lesbos. And I'm on that island where Paul was, was uh, the word comes from where we get lesbian from. I'm sure there was sexual perversion on the island. A lot of those islands still worship just like in Ephesus, you know, that sex surrounded the worship and everything. I'm sure the disciples that were with Paul, his team, probably were punched and going, Paul, there's sinners on this side. He said, yeah, here, let's join hands and pray that somebody will come and minister to them. I'm sure they look at Paul like, what are you doing? He says, we're taking time off. This is necessary that we relax and all that because why? We had this treasure in an earthen vessel. And so the the vessel can get tired even though the treasure inside keeps wanting to go push, 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 and let's get more done. There comes a time, even Jesus took time off and told his disciples to take time off. In fact, one that's interesting was the first time his disciples ever went out, laid hands on the sick, cast out devils, came back rejoicing. The devils are subject unto us through his name. And he said, yes, that's true. And then he said, let's go and take some time off. After one trip, so that shows how important rest is in the ministry, not to just accumulate a long time in preaching and finally go take some time off. No, there needs to be regular times, even days, a couple of days at a time, just to take off and again to relax. So this is important. And we now come, here's what Paul has planned. In this chapter, Paul has planned to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And he wants to be there strongly. And so he's here's how he's setting the time. So long on this island, this island, we spoke at this church, and he's planning all this. And he's also planned some time to go by Ephesus after a year and see what's going on. But he really wanted to meet with the ministers. So on the way, as he's passing by Ephesus, he's looking at thinking, I can't go there. There's so many friends. If I get there, I won't have time to minister to the ministers. There'll be people coming from everywhere to say hi to me. So he sailed on past Ephesus and he came to Miletus 30 miles away and had somebody go back and tell just the ministers, meet me here because you're the ones I want to talk to. So that's what happened. So in verse 16, it says that here it says in chapter 20, verse 16, Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus. So right now is when he determined it. He was going to go to Ephesus, but he thought, no, I'm going to go right by it and go to Miletus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hurried. So if possible, he could be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And so Paul has determined that he will be in Jerusalem. I mean, this is emphatic. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to meet with what's going on down there. I've heard things about what's going on, how the church has turned away from the grace of God, turned to legalism, how that the, the Pharisees that have been 
saved, many of them saved, but also those that aren't saved are taking that church right back into Judaism. And many had some sermons all prepared. And he says, I will be there for the Feast of Pentecost with all of the Jews from all of the nations will be there. And I'm going to minister in the uh, church there and in the synagogue, if possible. But what he determined was he still gave himself enough time. I'm going to stop by. I need to see the pastors uh, from uh, Ephesus and I'm going to meet them in Miletus. So Paul is determined he will be in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and he will fit in Miletus as quickly as he can. In verse 17 through verse 30, we have Paul's pastor's conference at Miletus. And so Paul pulls the pastors at Ephesus from their own town and has a conference 30 miles away at the seaside town of Miletus. And here we're going to find out the pastors were called elders. Okay. The word pastor had not come around quite yet. So they're still called elders. And this is one of those words often used for the office of the pastor. And so let me, before I get into that, let me just sit quickly say here is that Paul went to Miletus and there's two reasons that have been supposed. One was number one, he didn't want to go to Ephesus right now because of the, the people that wanted to see him. They probably come from all over Asia when they found out he was there and to talk about the wonderful things that happened during revival and what's happened since then. And Paul, listen, although Paul would love to do that, there wasn't time to do it. Next of all, he just wanted to meet with the pastors. So he brought them down. And another thing too was he didn't have it in Ephesus. And I can tell you, this is true. I read this one time. I thought, I bet you that's the reason because that's exactly how I feel. I don't like to go to minister's conference in my own home city. In my town, I'm in Tulsa. And when they have a minister's conference here, I really have to determine I'm going to go to that because there's so much that's going on in the ministry. How am I going to take time off to go there? And so this is what Paul is facing at the time. And so he probably went there to bring these guys away because I can tell you this, there's a pleasure in going to a minister's conference away from your own city. That way, you know, you can look in the rearview mirror and see your town disappear, or you can fly up in an airplane and see your hometown get smaller and fly off somewhere else. It's almost like being in a different place. You're not thinking about all those things going on. And when you get there, you finally realize my staff can handle it. When you're in town, I'm afraid my staff can't handle it. When I'm away, yeah, they can. And so this is what happened. They literally went 30 miles away and 30 miles in that day was probably like 300 miles today. You had to walk that distance. So let me give you five words in the word of God for the word used for pastor. Now there is the word pastor itself. That's the word poimain. And the word means a shepherd. And this is found in the word of God too. In fact, it's listed over in Ephesians chapter four with the five gifts that are mentioned there. All right. Also the next word is the word episkopos. And this is the word for bishop. This word is used as well as the word for pastor. The word episkopos means an overseer. And that's the word that's going to be used here also. It's going to be used in the verb form here. And that's to take oversight of the people. But again, here in this verse of scripture, these are the pastors, the shepherd of the people. Next of all, they're called bishops in the word of God. A bishop is an overseer or a superintendent. And the word episkopos, epi meaning over, epitome comes from this word. And skopos, where we get the word to scope, means to see or to look. And so they're an overseer. And a better word for this would be a superintendent. They either are the pastor or they're right under the pastor and they take the oversight of the people, the oversight of the staff that's under them as the staff gets larger. But again, this is also because the pastor himself is the overseer of the whole church, including the bishops under him. And the next one is the word elder, presbuteros. And uh, the word presbuteros means an old person, an older person. And this is not necessarily a physically older person, although it is used this way in the book of Titus. And that is the elder here in this verse of scripture is one who's mature. 
and uh, stands in authority in the church. He may not be right under the pastor like a bishop is, but I like to think of it this way. A bishop is an elder over elders, okay? He's like a superintendent again. So the word presbuteros means an elder, mature one, and the entry level into ministry is the word diakonos, and that's the word deacon. It means simply a minister. He's a, he does the grunt work. He does the physical work around there. He may not be able to teach a class, but you know what? He can, uh, he can um, lay out music sheets or he can lay out things for the church service, you know, to the, the list of things going on in the service that day, the bulletins, or else again, he just does work if you need to open doors, greeters, things like that. That's what a deacon is. It's interesting why all these words are used because all of them at one time or another are used of a pastor because you never leave these. You start out ministering to people, you don't forsake that. You're still doing it later on. And then later on, become a little elder. You know, then become a bishop, an overseer, you become a pastor, but all those things still exist in you. It's interesting when they had a shipwreck and Paul and all of them were laying on the on the shore and they were cold as can be because the water was cold and they were cold laying on the shore that the one that went to collect wood and sticks was Paul. He never left the deacon's ministry, even got bit by a snake but he still did it for the people. In other words, that call in you has never changed. We'll continue right on from here in verse 17 when we come back from the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyandian.com. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Many years ago, I wrote the book called God's Word to Pastors, and now I have updated it. Many new things I have seen from the Word of God applied into this book, and you're gonna be greatly blessed by it. I'm called to be a pastor, I trust you are too, and you will wanna get this book and become greatly impressed by what Paul had to say to pastors in Acts chapter 20. But I break this book down into, first of all, theology parts about how to minister the Word of God, how to search out the Word of God, but also practical application in choosing leadership in your church, church board members, a lot of other things are brought out in this book that I honestly think that's why I enjoyed this book so much and really, really wanted to update it. Many things I've applied in other books have all been condensed into one book. I think you're going to be greatly blessed by the new updated version of God's Word to Pastors. To order your copy, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we're now getting into the minister's conference that Paul had with the pastors 
from Ephesus. Take a look with me at verse 17. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. I want you to notice the word elders is plural because each one of them refers to the pastors of the churches. We don't know how many churches there were in the city, but they all came under the auspices called the church at Ephesus. When Paul wrote the Ephesian letter to the church at Ephesus, then he was referring to all those individual homes. And that's what this is referring to that the churches met in homes all together forming the church at Ephesus. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders, the presbyteros, the uh, elders of the, the churches. And again, what they were here is the pastors. Paul called for the elders because there was more than one local church at Ephesus. There were many churches meeting in homes throughout the city. The word elder here refers to the pastors, the spiritual leaders of those churches. And the Greek word again, presbyteros, recognizes the authority of of the pastor. His authority lies in his teaching ministry. He doesn't rule lives. He rules the word. Lives are personal, not to be tampered with. And again, the pastor may be offended by two or three certain sins or quirks in the people, but he doesn't have to enforce it unless those sins are sins that can destroy other people's lives. And there we're told in Timothy and Titus and other passages how that uh, false doctrine taken to extreme or immoral problems in the church can divide the church. But again, the things that he sees that he just doesn't like, that he may try, you know, might think, you know, well, the person doesn't need to be doing this, give him some time to grow in the word of God. And the word of God is what will change them, not you enforcing something that perhaps isn't that big of a deal. But he cannot enforce those on the people. He teaches the word, the whole counsel of God. A minister cannot teach without authority. The authority is not given to him by men, but it's given to him by God. And the Holy Spirit, will find this out in verse 28. The word episkopos emphasizes the work of the ministry. He is an overseer, which is also a bishop. In other words, as an overseer, uh, he delegates and learns to delegate to those around him. I think the greatest example of church government found in the word of God is to compare it to a home. If a man does not know how to take care of his own household, how will he then take care of the church of God? And so in any household, I don't care if you've got two children or 20 children, you don't need another father. You don't need another husband, all right? People often say, well, our church is so big, we need two pastors. Well, that's like saying, again, you need two dads or the body of Christ is so big that we need two Jesuses or you've become so huge in your physical body, you need a second head on top of you. Well, no, those are crazy things. Again, in a family, you just learn to delegate and the older children watch out for the younger children. And this is what the elders and bishops and, and, and deacons in the church are. They're entry-level positions and the more mature you get, the more oversight you have over the rest of the body. There's that wonderful day when you look at your son and say, from now on, you mow the lawn, okay? Not me. And you go out there and rake up leaves, you know, in the fall. That's the type of thing where you realize, thank God my kids are growing up and can accept some adult responsibility. My favorite one is in, in uh, the book of uh, Ephesians in chapter 5 where it says, I like to think of this. This is the this is the father looking at the son, looking at him going, let him who stole steal no more. Go to work with your hands, doing which is good that you may have to give to the one that has need. In other words, you've been living here long enough, sponging off of me, now it's time you go out and get yourself a job. And that's good. So again, up until now, you've been stealing. And uh, you know, but yet there was a right to do it. So I'm, I've given you that right, but now it's time to go out and start working on your own and learn. So this is again, the responsibility given to children. And the church of God is the family of God. And you have different levels of maturity, but the more mature you get, the more you should be taking over 
over responsibility in the church, not just coming and sitting there and enjoying the word and going home. Our kids need to be responsible. He observes and watches over God's heritage, which is the congregation. God has not called pastors to minister to everybody, but to see to it, everyone is ministered to. The word for pastor, poimain is his title, he's the shepherd. There are functions within a local church of administration. That's where the deacons can take care of it. And uh, they're taken from the congregation and they carry out authority in their own realms of service to the people. There's ushers and greeters and communion servers. These again are the deacons. That's the entry level position doing the grunt work, working with your hands. And so then you start to rise and you can become a, a teacher of a class. Then you can take some eldership position in the church, a leadership, and then finally you can become uh, one who has oversight, the bishops, which is again, here we're being used these words right here for the pastor and the bishop, because a bishop is probably, I would say probably the closest to an associate pastor as possible. If the pastor can't be in the pulpit, this guy does because he has that teaching ability, love for the people, love for God, won't try to take over the church when the pastor's on vacation. He's there to stand in his place. So again, these are taken from the congregation. They carry out the authority in their own realms of service to the people, ushers, greeters, communion servers, those like that. Verse 18 now says, and when they were come to him, that's to Paul, he said to them, you know how that from the first day that I came into Asia, that's from the Rome, into the Roman province, in what manner I have been with you at all seasons, all times. Paul began his message to the ministers, the pastors of Ephesus, and he went back to the beginning when he first came. And what he saw and how that through those three years of revival, these churches have been being developed, looking forward to the time when again, the end result of revival is not more revival. The end result of revival is local churches and people begin to take over that responsibility the teaching given now to the uh, authority in the church, the pastors, the associate pastors, the elders, the bishops, and then also those taking up the deacon work. Because in the very beginning, Paul probably had to go look for the building. Paul had to work with the guys that ran the building that he could rent or use or whatever he did with the school of Tyrannus. So they've seen Paul's life. They've seen his actions since the day he arrived over four years ago, three years for revival, one year since that time. He's been with him through all seasons. They've watched Paul struggle. They've watched him go through turmoil. They've seen him come through victory. They've watched him rise over troubles that he knew about and others he didn't have any concept of. The seven sons of Sceva, that was something that Satan did off on the side in a closed house and no one knew it, including Paul, until it was exposed, but God still took care of him. There's things in your life you see coming. There's things in your life you don't see coming. But the good news is if I know what's going on or don't know what's going on, God still takes care of me. He watches over me. So the seasons of the ministry range from good times to bad times, pleasant to difficult and smooth or stormy circumstances. There's times when people are for you and your message. There's others times when you're opposed by the people. But verse 19 tells us, here's what Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. You know what the Greek word here is? Grace thinking, serving the Lord with all grace thinking. I treated everything in grace. Even when people knowingly came against me, I looked at them in grace. And the point of it is you can look at people sometimes that are obstinate, you ministers, see obstinate people in the congregation. And the first thing you think is you wanna jerk the carpet out from under them. The first thought that should cross your mind is, you know what? I was like that when I first got started. I thought I had the world by the tail. I thought I knew everything. 
And I've learned through the years, the more I understand, the more I don't understand. The more I know reminds me of what I don't know. So he says, I look at them with grace thinking, even if I have to discipline them, it's still with grace thinking, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, whom a pastor loves, he chastens, and has to take and rein in some things like with a child, but you do it for their own good. He says, I did this with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. The first attribute any minister needs is grace thinking, freedom from arrogance. To realize you're nothing and God is everything is the first real step into greatness. This way, God can develop your ministry and also develop you. Paul points out the many sufferings that are found in the Christian life and especially in the ministry. A minister is a special target for people and a big target for the devil. If Satan can listen, wound and destroy or wound and even disable a pastor, then the congregation goes right along with it. When the minister falls, the rest of the congregation will probably be not far behind with all humility, truly is exalting God above yourself. And this is what Paul is talking about. Real humility is God's plan for exalting you. Proverbs chapter three and verse 34. Philippians chapter two, verses eight and nine and some other passages in the New Testament simply tell us that God wants to exalt us if we will just simply humble ourselves. I love what John the Baptist said. I must decrease so he can increase. God's protection comes also. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17, that when tears come, you find out what people are really like, then God is there to take care of it, wipe away the tears, but also to help you come through those struggles successfully and even use the struggle as a stepping stone to greater things in your life. Tears come when you find out what people are really like and temptations, Paul mentioned this, temptations come from opposers, religious people, legalistic people. Sometimes tears, when you find out what people are really like, you can almost let them pass. Say, okay, Lord, but when, listen, when they come from religious people, you think these guys ought to know better. They're in the same occupation I am and they're just totally coming against me. So again, temptations came from opposition, religious, legalistic people, the worst type of persecution any minister can face comes from the religious crowd. And this is the one that really persecuted Jesus, persecuted the prophets of the Old Testament and persecuted Paul himself. And in verse 20, he said this, here was the secret to my ministry, how that I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. The Greek word for uh, kept back is the word hupostello. It means to furl the sails. We're gonna run across this word again later on, just a few verses from now. He says, I did not furl the sails. But, and he says, in no area, and did I ever keep anything was profitable away from you? I have showed you and have taught you again and again publicly and from house to house. Paul says, in the three years that I was there and the churches began, we're not told this in chapter 19, but now we're being told in chapter 20 that Paul's ministry was uh, taught you again publicly. That was the school of Tyrannus. Then from house to house is church to church. So even back there in chapter 19, where that revival was going, there were churches being established at that time. And Paul was preaching there. And he says, listen, in whether I did it publicly or I did it in churches, I did not furl the sails. I didn't look and say, well, these people are just too immature to handle this. He said, I just gave you everything. And ministers, this is important. Not to hold back on your people thinking, well, they're just too immature. That is arrogance. That is not grace thinking. Treat them all as if they can handle it because listen, shock of all shocks, the Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in them. So the revival at Ephesus started out in the school of Tyrannus, 
public. Then they went to the churches after that. That's called house to house because churches met in homes in many of the cities where Paul preached. This is found in Acts chapter 12 and verse 17. Romans chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Colossians chapter 4, the closing of the books there always brought out this. He commended those whose church met in their house. And again, this is how it all began. So it simply comes back to this too. You don't have to have a good building to start a church in, just start it in a home. Or find yourself just some building you can rent for the moment, understanding this is just a stepping stone to what we will have eventually later. Paul held back nothing and everything he taught was profitable. See you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.